0: Hi. Welcome to this edition of the Clavier Report. I'm Dr. Eric Claville, and today we're here to talk about the pandemic a year in review. On this particular segment, we're going to take a look back at where we were just one year ago, and where we are now. I can't believe it's been a year since the world, as we know it, changed forever. I can't believe it's been a year from where we saw ourselves operating normally as we would, hugging each other, being together on the weekends, going out at the parks, picking our kids up from school, being in the classroom with our students, to all of a sudden, the world shutting down. I remember the night that the NBA shut down during the game involving two NBA teams. And I remember when the referees came together with the coaches and they said, listen, we can't continue this game. The arena was full, over 20,000 people there. But they closed down. I remember going, remembering a year ago, our government led under President Trump. We're saying that this is something that'll go away quickly. Nobody really believed that it was something as dangerous as it was. But secretly, in closed talks and back rooms, others knew differently. In other words, one year ago, the second week of March 2020, our lives changed forever. I want us to take a look at a review in photos than by NPR and ask yourself, how did your year and your life change? Let's take a look.
1: We really had no idea what was to come. I don't think any of us really realized the impact it would have on our lives. (sighs) My last normal moment of 2020 was my dad's birthday. My husband and I were in Lisbon, Portugal, for the ceremonial start of the Iditarod in downtown Anchorage. I got to solo with the National Philharmonic. Going on vacation. Happy-go-lucky, carefree time. And it makes me emotional. <laughs> I just miss that time. You know, we were really carefree. Happy. Content. free. Among so many people, all enjoying the same thing. I didn't know it would be the last show. The last mass. The last movie we saw in the theater. Our last day of school. Their last anniversary. The last picture I took before he died of COVID. I kind of feel like time froze that week. I'll never forget that day in shopping. It felt very dystopian.
0: There was some fear that drove me to buy random shelf-stable foods, as though if everything collapsed, we could survive on canned fruit
1: as a person in our seemingly well-oiled machine of a society to witness so many things become suddenly dysfunctional.
0: The world fell apart a little more every day.
1: It really felt like you could just like catch coronavirus if you walked out of your door. At that point, we were hearing about healthcare worker deaths pretty much daily, and my husband and I had some pretty frank discussions and updated our will in the event of my death. We actually went into another room to pray because we were scared to death. We we just started crying, and I'd never seen those doctors scared, because I've seen them with patients dying, having heart attacks, I've seen that. We were like, what are we getting into? That day everyone was wearing their work shirts because a major airline was coming to the hotel to bid on staying with us and we were all gonna greet them. Almost every single person in this picture was furloughed and then terminated because business travel just stopped.
0: There are so many people who are immigrant who came in March, that's really hard for them because uh, everything was shut down office job centers. For eight months, uh, my brother and sister were not able to get a job, to go to school and do anything. It was really hard time for us. Thank God we don't lose our family. We only lost our time. At
1: that point, I did not know how effective that face shield was. Is it protecting me? Is it protecting my clients? Should I even be working if this is how I have to dress up? Nobody cares. It's kind of just like, hey, get out there, go back to work, be in this enclosed room with someone without a mask. They're coughing, snoring, sneezing on you. Doesn't matter. Um, You got to work to survive. The pandemic has really highlighted just how little each of us as an individual means. And the people that I do mean something to, I can't even see my mom, my friends. I'm too high of a risk with the job that I do. I just felt a deep fatigue settle into my body. And I was like, oh no, I have it too. I got my results back. And then it came back positive and my stomach just dropped. There's just so much unknown about what my experience with COVID was going to be like. Was I going to need the ER? Was I going to need a ventilator? All I knew was I had this three-month-old baby that I I was so terrified of anything happening to. How I felt, I just couldn't imagine that feeling in a three-month-old body, the pain that you feel when you're that sick. If my baby feels like this, I can't go on. I cannot go on. At the end of the day, we decided I would move into the guest room and just really restrict, you know, my time with Josie. I couldn't kiss her. I kept a mask on the whole time and that was just, it was gut-wrenching. Like, I'm not joking when I say it was the, the worst 14 days of my life.
0: Well, just looking at those photos and listening to the stories of everyday people in our country, and we know that this is a pandemic that affected the world, it's gut-wrenching. One thing that stood out to me is that one person stated that it was so unreal how every system in our country came was so vulnerable and ultimately became inadequate, all because of one airborne virus. But, you know, it didn't have to be this way. If you remember during the time of President Barack Obama's presidency, we had this pandemic called H1N1, which really could have become a pandemic, and also Ebola, which came could have come to the fringes of the United States and inside the United States. Uh, I know H1N1 did. It was a flu virus, of course. Um, there was a vaccine that was created for that, but also Ebola. And after the creation, after the issue or the pandemic of Ebola in West Africa and the threat that we saw it could have on America in H1N1, immediately the Obama administration created an office in the White House at that level for infectious diseases and pandemics. Within that office, the blueprint was created on how to deal with these issues and how to get ahead of it so that it would not shut down our country as COVID-19 did. One of the things that former President Trump did is that he dismantled that office when he came into office. It's amazing when you hear the adage that says Rome wasn't built in a day, but it sure was destroyed one. And that's the same thing I see with the last presidential administration. So many great things about our country were simply destroyed, whether it be the Office of Infectious Disease and Pandemic, or whether it be the post, U.S. Post Office, or many, many others. Irresponsible handling and management of our agencies, of our government, of the trust of our people, were simply mishandled, and in some cases, dismantled, and in others, destroyed. But COVID-19 not only took away the apparatus in order to operate in a situation like that, but it also took away the opportunity and the connection that people had to each other. Families had to visit their loved ones in nursing homes and in hospitals, looking through a window. Others could not even go inside. You have people that they've known, family they've known for all their lives, that ultimately passed away, died, without anyone next to them. As a matter of fact, President Biden addressed this issue in the one-year anniversary of COVID-19. He addressed this issue as it related to us battling this pandemic. He addressed the issue of, this issue of COVID-19. Even as over 500,000 people have died, over 20 million, 30 million to be to closer to the number, have tested positive for COVID-19. And that's those that have just been tested positive for it in our country alone. And people are still dying every single day. One year later, we look and see what we could have done. And of course, the adage, said, adage goes, Hindsight is always 2020. You're exactly right. What we could have done a year ago was take this threat seriously three months prior to the week, the second week of March 2020. We had notice, we had knowledge that there was something brewing in China in December. We had a closed-door meeting, a briefing to our intelligence community about this issue in January. More talks on the White House level in February, and then a public campaign to dismiss the severity of this issue of COVID-19 in March. But unfortunately, it was so severe. The task of containing this was so daunting. The lies were mounting on top of each other, one on top of another, that it could not be contained. And from there, the truth had to be told, that COVID-19, the coronavirus, was here, and it was airborne. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, I remember when the NBA closed the game down. After that, schools closed down immediately. After that, restaurants closed down. Hotels closed down, traveling stopped, airports that were bustling, you know, at the seams all the time. All of a sudden, ghost towns, not just here, but across the world. Universities had to send their their students home. Professors had to switch to teach online. Schools had to figure out how to teach online. And all of this in the midst of trying to continue to keep our world functioning, our country functioning, to get resources to the people, to get food to the people, to get trucks to stores to stock the shelves, to get medicines to hospitals and pharmacies in order to dispense to those that need it. We saw how fragile our system is when one little bug comes in and shuts everything down. Was this preventable? Absolutely, it was preventable. but we simply did not have an administration or a person leading the administration that took it serious, serious enough in order to ensure that this would not be a crisis. During that time period, our country had to, in a way, forget about the deficit, and we had to pass immediate help and stimulus for the people, for our states, for our country to continue operating. So the Ambitious CARES Act, which is the Coronavirus Emergency Act that was passed to give people an opportunity to keep paying their bills, to keep buying food, to keep roofs over the heads of their loved ones. It was an opportunity that we showed, where we could create a better social safety net. And we did. And then, after, in the midst of all of this, there was still a fight where we made wearing a mask a political bug, a political tool, a political weapon to divide our country, simply wearing a mask. Can you imagine what we could have been able to do and ward off if everyone just simply wore a mask a year ago? But even from the highest office of the land a year ago, there was a fight of no mask. Even after person after person after person was getting sick, even after Dedicated civil service workers were afraid every single day to go to work in the White House and other areas of our government because there was a fight against simply wearing a piece of cloth over your mouth in order to keep your loved ones safe and your fellow American. At this particular time, in that time in our country, creating wedges to the virus is the most irresponsible thing a person could do. Creating division as opposed to unity did nothing but weaken our country and the institution of our democracy. But we saw the divisions just didn't stop there. America, in the midst of a once in a 100 year pandemic, global pandemic, which again, the last was a flu pandemic of 1918 to 1920, which kill one third of the world's population and even here in america it devastated our native american population on various reservations even in the midst of that global pandemic we were still able to democratically elect the next president of our country who is now president joe biden and vice president camel harris But even within the midst of the election, we still had people putting our democracy at risk in a pandemic. And that is, we see by the insurrection of January 6th upon our Capitol, where individuals, rioters, lawbreakers, those that sought to destroy our country, stormed the U.S. Capitol to stop a lawful constitutional, and what could have been really just a usual operation of our democracy to certify the Electoral College votes and the election results of each state. There, there were no mass war nights. Even our president, former president at the time, who tested positive and was hospitalized with coronavirus, COVID-19, even he was defiant until the end. Because of this defiance, because of this irresponsibility, because our country was not prepared, our country and our democracy was under assault and almost failed. Think about the how fragile our world is after COVID-19. We should never, ever go back to that. We should learn from our mistakes, learn from the lessons which in which we've learned, in which we have encountered, and implement the necessary changes needed in order to keep our nation strong, to keep our democracy strong, and to keep the beacon of light shining across the world. So I say to you, after, with this one-year anniversary do you think that the steps that the United States is taking under President Biden, no more President-elect, but President Biden, have been sufficient? According to polls, President Biden enjoys a high 70% approval rate as the way that he's handling, in partnership with Congress, addressing the issues of the pandemic and coronavirus in order to get our nation? back going. As a matter of fact, the rollout of vaccines, the development of vaccines, first of all, is a monumental feat within itself. The way that we were able to take the science in which we have learned from the past, remember, learn from the past and been able to engineer a vaccine down to the very area in which the flu virus attacks our body and to create a blocker so it does not cause the severity. And in some cases, wards off or cause you not to actually become sickened by that particular strain of the coronavirus itself. Absolutely amazing when you think about the science behind that. But in moving forward, the ability to bring competing pharmaceutical companies together, to work together, to create a vaccine that not only helps America, but helps the world. So now we have several vaccines that are going into the systems of people across the country at a record rate. As a matter of fact, President Biden believed that by January 4th, we could celebrate coming back together as family once again. And this is supported by the science led by Dr. Fauci. So Moving forward in opening up America, moving forward in creating opportunities and enough vaccines to vaccinate the entire country sounds a whole lot different from denying that this problem ever existed one year later. The power of leadership and the power of following science, truth, facts, and creating solutions around that. There's no politics in that. There's no wrong in that. There's only right, and there's only the ability to show the results of good leadership. And that's what we see right now. But not just the vaccine rollout, but we also see where people are suffering financially. And that is the reason why this, our president, pushed and champion the COVID-19 stimulus package and relief relief plan that was passed. One point nine trillion dollars passed in order to number one continue to supply the funding needed for vaccinations, to supply stimulus checks, monies, in America's hands in their bank accounts, so that they can buy food, keep a roof over their head, and continue to pay their bills. Also, before this in the CARES Act, we know that there was an extension on the moratorium uh, in not evicting certain uh, people out of certain types of homes. We knew that, we know that uh, companies and working with utility companies on the state level. Uh, that there is a non shutting off of, of utilities because people can't pay their bills, which we 're going to have to address we can't keep, keep we can 't keep kicking that can, the proverbial can and the actual can down the road, so we have to address that, but also there was monies available for individuals who are unemployed. A continued three hundred dollars to help people meet the need the need of where they are. And then also monies for states, universities, to help bridge the gap, to help them deliver the services to their people in their states, because they know what's best for them. Because all politics is local, right? Now, again, when I say they know what's best for them, that's because the people advocate on behalf of their needs in their locality, in their states. I'm not saying the state government knows what's best for them, but the people who are the government. So this 1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief plan became law several days ago. It became law to help people help our fellow Americans meet their needs. Unfortunately, it became law without the help and without a vote from a single Lawmaker on the other side, the Republican side. To me, that shows that there is a mis, there is a disconnect between what the people need and want and what the representatives are willing to do for them. Even when over 70 percent of the country agreed with our president that this bill is needed, still there was division. With this division, I believe it shows, it gives us an opportunity. With this division, I believe it gives us an opportunity to really take a look at what we need to do in order to bring our country back together. Because we're just not a country of individuals. We're not a country of red and blue, but we're one country one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The decisions that we make now will have a reverberating effect upon generations to come. The decisions that we make now will help to create a better future for our children, our posterity. The decisions that we make now will help to continue to firm up the foundation of American values, of our American Constitution, and of democracy itself. The decisions that we make now will ensure that our country still exists, not just 10 years from now, 50 years from now, or 100 years from now, but even longer. The decisions that we make now will ensure that the once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic will not shut down our country no more, or our world, for that matter, but it will provide us with the tools to stop it at bay, keep it from spreading, keep it from impacting negatively our way of life, The decisions that we make today are more important today than they were yesterday. Why? Because we're able to learn from the mistakes of the past so that we don't repeat them in the future. Make no mistake about this. History will be our judge. The outcome will be the record that's kept to determine whether we were selfless or selfish. But these decisions just don't happen in a vacuum. The decisions that we need to make happen when you as the individual, you as the citizen persevere, push ahead and ensure that our representatives are informed about the issues that impact us. These decisions don't happen miraculously. They happen when everyday citizens like yourselves make known the demands that you know will help to better your community, your family, and the future. These decisions that we need to make today will only be made if you continue to operate in the capacity that our democracy gives you. That means just not voting. We know where that goes. We've seen that over and over again. But that means staying engaged in the public policy. That means continuing to be informed about the issues affecting you. That means holding our elected officials that you voted in office accountable to pass a living wage. That means holding them accountable to assess the student loan debt and the crisis that we have brewing and ensure that they make the decisions that are beneficial for this generation and generations to come. Our democracy is only as strong as the people that make it up. And the people of this country, the American people, are strong The American people are vibrant, and the American people are here, and we're here to stay. One year later, after the pandemic, I believe that we're stronger, we're more resilient, and we're smarter, and it will definitely show in the end. Thank you for joining us for this edition of this this special Clevel Report, Law, Policy, and Politics, as we look at the pandemic a year in review. We'll see you next time.